Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorad nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pros and Cons, a, uh, a podcast by writers for writers where sometimes we feel like pros and sometimes we feel like cons. Uh, with me today, I have the uh, wonderful and magnanimous Patty Boylan. Am I magnanimous? You're magnanimous. I think you're magnanimous. Okay. Is it of all the things you could have said, magnanimous? Yeah, there's there's a magnanimosity sure. to you. I'll take it. Hi, I'm Patty Boylan. I am an editor technical writer and creative writing teacher that's kind of writing a novel kind of sort of kind of and uh the ever charming and effervescent james healy <laughs> i don't know what effervescent means to, to agree or disagree with that but i will certainly <laughs> take it um hello i'm james healy i'm a writer and editor short and sweet yeah nice and my name is alex i am a writer i uh have written a series of short stories called golden hour that you can find on amazon i've also contributed to the new mythic collection of short stories um i've written some novels as well but none of them are out yet because i am terrified to edit and release them um and then just recently i uh contributed a um short story to the big big issues uh fiction edition which i was very proud of um and that's actually leading into our uh, our mm. uh, comment today but before we get to that uh i would like to ask you guys what have you been reading what have you been consuming uh what has been consuming your brain space in terms of uh you know media the author who's been consuming my brain is bernard cornwall mm. cornwell cornwell not a wall of corn a well full of corn <laughs> um i mentioned before historical fiction um really 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 good it's like iron age britain uh the tv series the last kingdom was based on it haven't yeah, seen the tv series here it's good here it's okay okay yeah, I, like I started on book eight as it turns out because my dad just randomly gave me book eight. And now I've gone back to book three because I couldn't find the first two. Uh, wow, okay. it's also, yeah, it's not the sort of thing where you need to um, read it in order. But um, God, it's good. I haven't devoured a book this quickly in a long time. Yeah, Bernard Cornwell, um, Last Kingdom series. Read it if you like that. Now I can't stop thinking about a well of corn. Like yeah. just, just full to the brim, you'd like take some out and it just like, oh, it's right back there the next day. Did they fill it up every day? I don't know. That's How does it work? Well of corn. And what about you, James? What have you been reading, listening to, consuming? I've been reading um, Dracula by Bram Stoker. Nice. Um, oh, nice. really enjoying that. Yeah. Lovely little, uh, yeah, like I love how it's laid out. You've got all these little moments, all these little kind of brief horror stories that are kind mm. of going on. Um, very mm. enjoyable read. And uh, yeah, I love reading stuff that is... I guess, yeah, when it's structured in such a way that you can break it up into all the different little horror stories, if you know what I mean. I think that's a really good way of telling a, telling a horror mm. story. So yeah, I really enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, I, I will go on record, and I'm sure I have before, as saying that the the first section of that novel, the epistolary diary yeah. entry section, is one of my favorite, I'm going to say short stories of all time. It is technically part of the novel, but uh, mm. I just it's so self-contained and so chilling. I just it's just right up there with my favorite horror stuff, which considering how much yeah. horror I read, I think is is high praise. I um, think I might be the only one of us aggregate six that hasn't read Dracula yet. I should really get on that. Everyone says it's great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's good. A good book. It's a good book. Mm. Uh, yeah, and myself, um, I usually feel guilty about just saying, "Oh, I've been playing a video game," but I've <laughs> been playing uh, Bloodborne, and 
honest to God, that is just such a masterclass in um, environmental and indirect storytelling. It is like, I think I could probably say it is my favorite game of all time. It's just, it's just so compelling. Um, if you like big, spooky, um, you know, like deities uh, kind of manipulating the story in ways that aren't immediately uh, foreseeable, despite the fact that you're actually in it, like driving the action forward and you still feel like you're not even really part of the plot uh, or, or this very small part of the plot. It's just, I can't even really describe it. It's if you uh, at, at all into um, Dark Souls stuff or horror or um, any intersection of those two medias, like you, you got to do yourself a favor and play this game because it's so good. Patty, mm -hmm. I realize you can't do that because it's, mm -hmm. it hasn't been released for, right. for PC yet, but I know, you know, I one know. day, one day, mm, one day. Um, anyway. So, uh, yes, on, on a different topic, uh, today we're going to be talking about comedic writing. And um, I, I'll start out with a little bit of uh, just how, how I came to just, you know, wanted to do this topic. Uh, as I've said on here before, uh, I often get told people think my writing's kind of funny, which is good. I appreciate it is. that. Thank it you. is funny. You're thank a funny writer. I, I thank you. I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's something that sort of comes to me naturally. I I think I've always just written that way, um, which can be kind of tricky when you're writing horror because that's a really fine line to walk. Anyway, um, I wanted to kind of, and recently um, a friend of mine, uh, Nate, uh, who's actually the husband of Ali, who's also on this podcast, he reached out to me and was like, hey, I, I need this little script thing here. Like it's, it's this, and I'm going to give you the brief of it. And I will read out this script because it's quite short. But first I want to just give you the, the brief of kind of how this went. Um, okay, so he said, and this was a prompt that he wrote for ChatGPT, and ChatGPT wrote <laughs> in a thing, and it apparently didn't work out. Uh, so write me a short scene in the style of Ted Lasso. It should be about a young male teacher from Texas waiting to be interviewed at an Australian primary school. His manner is jovial, friendly, and warm, while his jokes may not land as well. Uh, he should be conducting his interview with the principal and discussing his qualifications. His responses are flippant and yet convey a loving tone for what he does as a teacher. The principal is not hard, but she does carry an air of doubt as to his place in the school. The scene should end with a smile. Okay. So I think you guys will will agree, based on that writ, um, that sounds like a fairly comical tone, right? Um, that sounds like something that's inherently kind of funny. Right, I think so. The jokes aren't landing, but we're laughing that they're not landing. Yeah, we're we're laughing not at the jokes, but as at his attempt to to tell the jokes, which is almost like a, a meta. Yeah. So I'm not going to read this out just yet. What I am going to read is um a, a an older piece of uh, literature um by uh, P.G. Wodehouse. Uh, in you guys may not have read it, but you'll certainly be familiar with the um. The, the guy himself is uh the, the, oh, the, I Jeeves, love the Jeeves series yeah right yeah. I've okay. never heard of Wodehouse in my life but please continue no you'll you'll know you like you okay. know Jeeves the butler like you've probably heard that name I, like yeah oh, I do Jeeves. I didn't actually I thought it was just a like a random yeah. stereotype I didn't know that it was a real character well this is where it comes from yeah oh. it's, he's this old you know this wise kind of like almost godlike figure who's just like uh, the, um who's that's who's, why we ask him yeah, exactly. That's why there's that. Exactly. Ask Jeeves. That's where that comes from. It's a whole thing. Anyway, this is actually not directly related to the butler, but I thought it was a very good example of comedy for a couple of reasons we're going to talk about in a second, but like just we'll get to here. I know I'm nesting things within things. No, but no, this is good. It's all coming to a head. Uh, now, this is in the audiobook version that I'm listening to. This is read by um, Stephen Fry. So 
I'm not going to do quite the justice it is, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and put a bit of fry into it. The shades of evening were beginning to fall pretty freely by now, but the visibility was still good enough to enable me to observe that up the road there was an approaching uh, there was approaching a large stout moon-faced policeman on a bicycle. And he was, one could see at peace with all the world. His daily round of tasks may or may not have been completed, but he was obviously off duty for the moment and his whole attitude was that of a policeman with nothing on his mind but his helmet. Well, when I tell you that he was riding without his hands, you will gather to what lengths the careless gaiety of this serene slop had spread. And where the drama came in was that it was patent that his attention had not yet been drawn to the fact that he was being chivied in the strong, silent, earnest manner characteristic of this breed of animal by a fine Aberdeen terrier. There he was, riding comfortably along, sniffing the fragrant evening breeze, and there was the Scotty, all whiskers and eyebrows, herring <laughs> after him, hell for leather. As Jeeves said later, when I described the scene to him, the whole situation resembled some great moment in a Greek tragedy where somebody is, um, this is excised for some reason, is, is, is something wide and handsome, quite unconscious that uh, all the while Nemesis is at his heels. And he may be right. The constable, I dare say, was riding without his hands, and but for this disaster, when it occurred, might not have been so complete. Um, I was a bit of a cyclist myself in my youth. I think I've mentioned that I once won a choir boy's handicap at some village sports, and I can testify that when you are riding without your hands, privacy and a complete freedom from interruption are of the essence. The merest suggestion of an unexpected Scotty connecting with the ankle bone at such a time and you swoop into a sudden swerve. And every, as everybody knows, if the hands are not firmly on the handlebars, a sudden swerve spells a smeller. And so it happened now, a smeller. And among the finest I have ever been privileged to witness was what this officer of the law came. One moment he was with us, all merry and bright, the next he was in the ditch. A sort of... McDoin of, I don't know what that word means, of arms and legs and wheels with a terrier standing on the edge looking down at him with that rather offensive expression of virtuous smugness, which I have not often, which I've often noticed on the faces of Aberdeen Terriers in their clashes with humanity. I just think that is so funny. There's like, it's very charming. Just the, it's just, yeah, it's so, um, charming is the word. It's so charmingly, uh, like, gay is the word i want to say not that's exactly you know what that's the word i was thinking yeah. and i was thinking not, like, not in the sense of being homosexual but being like gay and free oh, and it's just yeah. so like oh and i saw this policeman come a cropper and what a scene it was and his whole writing style is like that yes. but there's also this this other layer like of him like bringing a sense of like nemesis and greek tragedy to, it's operating on a lot of levels so um i wanted to talk about that and i, I wanted to talk about in that scene specifically and we'll mm. talk about others what is it that makes that charming and amusing at the very least even if it's not necessarily laugh out loud funny parts of it i think are but what is it that brings the humor to that what do you think it's definitely his own delight in what happened it that in itself is funny the fact yes. that he found it so amusing yeah. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah. i guess the way he's telling the story is reflecting that which is sort of making you like in on the gag as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like when someone's telling a joke and you can tell that they find it really funny. Sometimes it can make that funnier. Yeah, and I, yeah. you can kind of almost hear the author laughing along with it. Yeah, because there's definitely a way to tell that scene where it's, if not tragic, at least like 
you know, you kind of absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I think also it's the fact that there is an accident, and like everybody knows that the difference between like a funny accident and an awful accident is like the extent of the injury. But yeah. his whole tone is so light that you know nothing serious came of it. We yeah. we can assume, unless this man's a sociopath, that the police officer wasn't badly injured. That it's yes. just a oh, 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 what a scrap. Okay, that that I'll I'll start jumping into the uh, the specifics of, of what we're going to look at here. Um, I think so. One of the uh, one of the things about comedy is finding the you know finding the funny in the everyday, noticing the every everyday, and there's like the sense of I mean we don't so much have bobbies riding down the street on, on a police dog these days but no, we're all familiar with the idea of a small dog chasing after something and of someone being like free and easy and unconcerned and just at peace with the world so the idea of of um it just being this everyday thing but then the absurdity of this being a policeman that's like riding with no handlebars yeah. and also that like have you guys ever ridden a bike with no handlebars or like seen someone do no. it no okay no, I, I, <laughs> I, I, seen I people have, do it and he and he describes it like he describes it pretty well. Like you, if you're going with no handlebars, it's pretty yeah. chill. Like you're yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, I'm just doing this. Look at this fun. People thing glide. They yeah. glide along the road. Yeah. But if if something comes across your your path, you're like well and truly munted. Like it's <laughs> there's no coming back. Like you you're gonna do one of these and you're gonna come off. So there's something of the everyday to that in comedy that that I think is fun. Um, can you guys think of or, or in the examples you have, do you have a, a sense of like the um like the, the everyday, the mundanity of it kind of coming and making it funny? Like Yes, like every Monty Python's flying circus sketch ever. Yeah. I mean, even the whole thing with a Bobby riding a police officer comes up a lot. Yeah. It's always like old Ready ladies bicycle. inevitably played by men, yeah. or like the vicar comes to tea. Yes. Like very um again, like Middle England as well, like mundane, everyday, completely average events. But you know, then someone explodes or, or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. They and do that all the time. It really pushes that absurd. Uh, it makes me think I just saw a fish called Wanda, which was uh, produced, yeah. I, th I think, um, I, it's definitely Michael Palin and also John, uh, John Cleese? Cle yeah, John Cleese, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they're in it. They're both in it. And um, there's very much that sense of, that movie plays with a lot of the sense of like um, a, an American coming and, and seeing all the, the foibles of the British and being very like, the British being all stuck up and, and like very stiff and that sort of thing. So um, they're playing it like it's kind of the, the juxtaposition of those two cultures like there's um yes there's this one guy that the main guy's name's otto and he's a real jerk and the person michael palin is playing is is this guy with a stutter he's a really bad stutter right and like the the whole time it's um and it, it's it's very easy now it's it's a little um it, it's you know it's a, a little uh off a little off. offensive yeah because you yeah. know if you've got a stutter it's kind of a jerk thing to make fun of but yes the way it starts, like the over the topness of the way this this guy sociopathically makes fun of you, you, like he just very clearly comes off as a terrible person, and this guy who's stuttering is just like just trying to get through it, and the, the juxtaposition between that is just very very funny. Um, yeah, so so that's that's sort of a one little part of it. The uh, the everyday. Can you think of a, an element of that, James, that sort of comes through there? Like, uh, um, I'm trying to think. I, there is something about honing in on just particular everyday moments that always feels funny anytime anytime that i've tried to do that in my own writing no matter what the context or what the tone of the story is 
if you elongate a specific moment, I guess if you just keep looking for details to talk about, something about it starts to feel very comedic. It's like the character is neurotically honing in on one thing, or you're you're looking at, you're putting it under such a microscope that it starts to become absurd. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I don't know why that is, but you're right. Like sometimes over-examining something does get to the point where it's funny. I, it's really hard... Like so much of this stuff, it's really hard to put your finger on why something is yes, funny. Yeah, but it definitely yeah, you is. Could, you could definitely detail, like there's tons of details you could focus on with the officer there in that scene. Mm. I think and it's he the does. fact that yeah. he's focused on the helmet. It's the specific things that he has focused on is what kind of makes it funny. Putting together the story that all of these details go into the fall. Mm. There's also the playing with expectations. Like, this yes. is like the, the everyday thing, but when someone's riding on handlebars, like, sorry, riding a bike without using handlebars, and it's a joke, you know what's going to happen, and the expectation of that is funny. And everyone has seen, like, a small terrier <laughs> that's unreasonably aggressive for its size, and that's funny. So maybe it's also just drawing on these everyday things that we see and note and smile at, and he tells them again, and so we smile at them again and bring back past memories. Yeah. I, I think there's really something to be said for the for the like little details thing in it. So in in a the story I mentioned at the beginning, um, pool etiquette that I submitted for the big issue, that's really about like the the focus of that is like a um so it comes from the like I do a lot of swimming. I've actually literally just come back from the pool. And there's this weird thing where uh in the pool, at least with me, like you've got different lanes, right? So you have a slow lane, a fast lane, and a uh, and, and like a medium lane, right? And if you're in the fast lane, for me, it's like I get real annoyed if like there's a slow swimmer in the. It's it's this really really petty thing where it's like, like you know, I'm I'm in this lane and I'm going fast, so you should go fast. And it's it's very silly and very like you know, there's, I have really no reason to stand on that soap. Uh, that soapbox. But it has struck me that the main character in in these series does tap into your own neuroses somewhat. Oh, without a doubt. It's without, very I'm, it's very effective. Like this is, comes I'm, from the point of view of someone who has yeah. felt these things before. Yeah. I am a very neurotic person. <laughs> like ask my girlfriend. I'm very neurotic. That's um, how the character works. It feels really yeah, real. Anyway. I, well I, I yeah. think well that's that's it. That's part of it. It taps into some element of like, no, no, I know what this feeling is. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, this is coming from a very real place. Um, so yeah, that story is basically about this, this guy who gets into a pool and he's really set on what he wants to do. And he's going to swim his laps because that's what he has to do. He has to do a set number of laps and these kids start jumping into the pool from this rock. And at first he's like, well, that's really annoying because I'm, I'm doing this thing and you know, but, uh, but he's like, fine, whatever they're doing that. They're not going to bother me. It's over here. I'll just do my thing. But the kids, as the story goes on, get further and further, like closer and closer. And the humor in it, I think, there's a little bit of a resolution at the end, which I think is actually quite kind of nice. Um, but the humor and the really funny thing about it, I think, is that um, observing the tension of uh, these kids pushing it and pushing it mm -hmm. and seeing the effect it has on this guy's psyche mm -hmm. and just, and like seeing him get upset about something, but realizing like it's it's not, really worth getting upset about yeah and trying to like talk to someone about like these kids and, and then the stakes like, are oh, so no, low but the frustration's so high that's that's right and it's about it's just about that that uh sort of juxtaposition there so and then yeah. at the end there's there's a, a bit of a, a, a fill up and a turnaround with expectations people, um it's like people's 
getting really frustrated in the situation is such a cornerstone of comedy. Yeah. I mean, it feels so awful when it's us, but when we can see it in other people, it's so inherently absurd because, yeah, so often it just seems like nothing. That's it. And I guess we like to laugh at people's pain. <laughs> well, that was the next point I wanted to get into. The things okay. that, that uh, irritation, frustration, and humiliation are these really funny things as long as they're happening to mm. someone else, right? Mm. There's this, there's this yeah. voyeurist, voyeuristic sense of like, well, well, better, better you than I, you know, um, mm. that, that is, is, uh, is very, very amusing. It's, it's why, um, but then also being able to relate to it is funny as well. It's like the, uh, the Chinese restaurant episode in Seinfeld, really all of Seinfeld, but where they're just <laughs> waiting at this Chinese restaurant and it's like, well, you're waiting, you, you know, you got to wait, but the, the episode happens in real time and they're going through this thing being sort of like, when are we going to get served? And someone else comes in and they're like, but him. And they're like, oh no, they had a reservation. And it's, there's this tangible sense of like, you don't really have a leg to stand on. And yet, you know, so there's mm. this, this combination of, of empathy, but also um, like recognition that it's a bit absurd to be so upset about this. I think incidentally, that is my least favorite episode of Seinfeld, like really? by far, but really? it has like all of the beats of funny. Yeah, it's almost okay. like a lesson on how to be funny. Yeah, I I think it's really lame. Oh, I, it's I really definitely like got it. like okay, I, well, but it, it's but it's it's uh yeah, like you said, it's kind of a masterclass on how to do it. Like it's got the components. Yeah, yeah, it's the soup, you know, without maybe the. Well, no, I, I like it. I'll I'll stand on that. I, I think it's a fun okay. Case. But you can. You can. Yeah. Uh, but what do we think of that? Like, what's uh what's an example or element of uh someone else you know uh someone else's frustration being 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 amusing to to us the audience yeah i guess if the frustration or if the even the panic or something just far exceeds um the situation or if it's just doing no if it's not resulting in any progress being made at all that could be very funny um, yeah. i don't know if any either of you have watched um the british tv show peep show yes love peep show uh, yes. i think i have it's really surreal isn't it um, no, okay. it's kind of from their point of view sometimes they had oh, cameras yeah, on that that's so funny that like the yeah just the oh I'm gonna do this now yeah oh. some of it's very awkward and cringy but there's an episode where they get locked in a hallway as they're leaving someone's apartment and I think it's on the day it's like on the day of his like son's christening or something so he like really really needs to be there um, and the pair of them are just stuck in the apartment they can't get out the front door they can't go back into the room and he's really freaking out. And because he's freaking out, the other guy is sort of just relaxing and he's, he's trying to order pizza to the, yeah. to the door to get it. But he's like, why aren't you giving this more? Uh, like, why aren't you getting more aggravated? And he's like, it's not going to do anything. So it's the fact that one of them is so, like, he, he's, yeah, I guess he should be panicking, but his panic is just doing nothing. He's just flapping his wings. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. And then you contrast it against the other guy who's almost like, finding somewhere comfortable to sit down and wait until they're till they're discovered um it's very very funny and that's yeah. like the uh the dynamic of that show is part of what makes it so funny because one guy is this really neurotic like oh I, I can't even talk to people i hate this and the other guy is just this totally off the wall like yeah man whatever you know yeah. like he's, yeah. he's just so the the and, and they're both kind of like objectively terrible people incidentally patty this oh, is the same person yeah. who does uh succession it's is kind of the guy the main writer of this i believe so it's, oh i didn't know that okay it is yeah which you yeah. you'd never know until you see it and then you're like got it so right yeah it's it's okay. these like functionally to and pretty much everyone on the show is really terrible um but it's it's these 
guys just going through their life, just trying to make it through these situations and just progressively making them worse. It's, it's just yeah. really, really funny. Like it's, it might be, might be one of my favorite, just like stand like straight up sitcoms. Uh, I think I've said. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone who doesn't like us. It's, no, uh, it's, it's, good it, yeah. it's kind of what I describe as cringe porn. That's, that's what it, but it's, <laughs> it's an example of that done really, really uh, well. You know, like, yeah. like all of um arrested development is yes. incredible. Mm. No, not arrested development. Curb your enthusiasm. Not bad. Yeah. How did you yeah. know? Because, because it's the it is. It, that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mother can't watch it because she said it's just awful. Like I yeah. can't I can't yeah. do this. The the situations are so excruciating. Larry David is such an <laughs> idiot. Like, don't stop, stop doing that, Darren. No, no. <laughs> and he just makes it worse and worse because he's so incredibly again neurotic. Yeah, but something really funny is actually that in real life, apparently Larry David went on uh, Jay Leno, not Jay Leno, um, Kimball or something, and like beat up Elmo, who was on there. And people like, you can't do that. Elmo is is meant is like an eight year old child. That's what he's meant to represent. And like Larry David was doing it, but it's like you can. I haven't seen that's Larry David. Like, but of course he would because like that's what he does. His whole comedy is doing the thing that's really inappropriate that makes you like horrified that he's doing it. Yeah. And, and that's why Curb Your Enthusiasm works so well, because again, like we were saying, it's this, it's this, ex, this extrapolation of his yeah. character yeah. and the realness of that is what's so engaging about yeah. it. Do you know what I and mean? And also ex- like going back to the whole thing of like stretching out scenes far too long. Yep. Often those scenes go far, far further than they <laughs> probably should. And they come back around again to being even funnier. Than they yeah. Can. This is, this is something I want to talk about too. That This is what I call the dip right? Where, and I think it works particularly well in what I'm going to call, continue to call cringe porn. Um, but That's a good name. it's, I think so. It's like you watch something and it's funny and it's funny. And, it's, and then suddenly it, it's not funny anymore. And you, you watch it and you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And you keep watching, it keeps getting more uncomfortable. And then suddenly it gets funny again for some reason. Yeah. It's like, it's, it takes this very specific comedic um, ballsiness to like push through that to uh, to get through to the other side. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, Auntie Donna. Um, Auntie Donna is great because how's the fun? It's on no. Netflix, but basically it's a sketch show. Like, okay, and there's this, um, there's, I'll give you an example, one sketch. The very first sketch in the first episode, um, they're, they're kind of like, everything's a drum, everything's a drum. Then they're like just singing this song about everything being a drum and they're hitting on things, that they're hitting like items hitting things and it just at some point um like the, the, he hits something and it stops it stops making like the the drum sound and the music stops and then <laughs> it's like he turns i forget their names but one of the guys like darren you promised me that everything would be a drum and then the other guy's like i, I don't i don't know what happened and one guy like comes up and just comes up you promised me and it just like it becomes really really intense and like like a bit uncomfortable and then it gets back into it everything's like and it's it's just this it's this classic tension and release thing that's just it's it's very funny. I'm not describing it very well, but um no, no, no. I, it, I, it, it pushes through and their whole thing is that but it pushes through that sense of like oh, oh my goodness, mm. until it becomes more like funny again. Well, I don't know if this is a good time for it, but at some point I've I've got a few notes here on how I did a little bit of research because I love mm. research on the comedy how comedy works and the idea of establishing a pattern. And establishing a pattern, establishing a pattern, but then subverting the pattern. And it's the subversion that's often funny. Yes. Like the whole three men walk into a bar thing. The, the setup is often man one does a thing, man two does a thing, man three almost does a thing, doesn't do the thing. And that's funny. 
And maybe the whole drawing it out too long is we establish a pattern, but then it's like, oh, this is no good. But then we realize that the new pattern is the fact that it is too long. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if I'm articulating yeah. that. No, correctly. no, I, I think that's exactly right. It's like it it's like re-establishing an order of out of this yep. order. You know, and when you realize the new order is, oh wait, okay, this is inappropriately long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. when like, you start. It, it, it's almost like the sense that the people making it didn't get what they were doing, and that's uncomfortable for us because because you get this secondhand uncomfortable. But then when you realize they're in on that joke, then you yes. suddenly become in on the the the, the meta joke. When which... you realize the acting, forgetting their lines is actually part of the play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. that's a really good analogy, actually. And you took took me to the next little bit, which is the zig zigs zag right so you've got uh bit one reinforcement and then the third thing is um is the the punchline so that's why we like cards against humanity right um so you know you have am i thinking about cards? yeah so like there's one thing something else and then a third thing you know kind of brings it all together another element of it uh the fact that humor is subjective so not everyone is going to find every kind of humor funny, um, which is in a sense what makes it funny. Because, uh, you know, like if you're if you're uh, a right wing satirist, you know, like if you're making fun of right wing politicians, you're essentially cutting off a whole audience of people who are going to be into that. So it's like the being part of the in group is kind of what makes something funny in the sense of parody. If you're parodying mm -hmm. like Donald Trump or something. The example I have again. Monty Python is the life of Brian. Uh, when I saw it as a kid, I mean, I got 30, 25% of it. As an adult, the fact that the jokes are so hyper-specific to ancient Romans slash Jesus slash Judean history, it's it's yeah. like, who would make this? It's just so dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's the hyper-specificity that makes it funny. And the fact that you're the laughing details. about like the Judean people's front, it's simultaneously laughing about Roman occupation and also the inanity of, you know, like resistance movements that have infinite meetings and never actually take action because they need to like have a subcommittee on voting for everything. Yeah, like just just any sort of uh, humor is inherently going to be, um, tar yeah, it's going to be specific. It's going to be targeted to something. And it kind of goes back to the details thing, you know, like um, if you're, hyper fixating on something just the very targetedness of it and the fact that like one person in the room is going to be like yeah i get that i like hawaiian pizza like is <laughs> is is, yeah. is going to make it funny you know like there's there's an element of like oh i'm i'm the in group i get what that's about and because it's so targeted yeah. it's more potent yeah definitely with cringe comedy and stuff there are people who there are people who just have no tolerance for that uh, they can't watch it at all um mm. And it is something which, on the one hand, it's targeting an audience in terms of these are the people who find it funny. On the other hand, it's kind of laughing at this person because this is the person, the person's gotten themselves into this situation and they don't know how to get themselves out of it. Mm. Um, and some people, yeah, I think some people can be quite uncomfortable with laughing at a person because they want to sympathize with the character. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I've yeah. seen plenty of comedies where. Yeah. A lot of people think it's funny. I'm just like, oh, why Why are we laughing at this person, this this poor unfortunate individual? Like, not yeah. that I'm any better. I'll definitely laugh at some things, but just some situations, like everyone, won't, won't do it for me. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of people really struggled with 
um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> because I think at the first at the beginning of the show when you start watching it you you're trying to find a character who you're meant to be identifying with and meant to yeah. be rooting for yeah. and that character doesn't come along because yeah. they're terrible people so I think a lot of people don't know where to put their focus and then because each of the characters keeps failing and doing horrible things I think people found it a little bit like not quite sure I was one of those people I was kind of like I don't know who's the main character who's the character I meant to like yeah. um, and that yeah, never yeah. comes along no. yeah well so you have to get yeah it's interesting because the first series of that they they are actually like before they sort of found their niche you there are kind of like they're following like social themes and you can see them actually kind of trying to do good in the community like it's it's very misguided and doesn't but there is th this weird sort of messaging going through like trying to be like oh no actually you know we we should I can't think of a specific thing yeah but, it's like, like the heart's in the right place but yeah they're, they're like talking it up because they're, they're trying to stop kids getting on drugs or something like that in this very horribly misguided way but as it goes on they stop doing that and they just become and th the meta commentary of the show is actually these people becoming worse and worse and more and more terrible yeah. people so much to the point where um the cat the actor who did uh mac um will he, he's like i i got sick of seeing people like get more attractive as as like the show got more popular because they got more money and they could afford surgery and stuff so i wanted to do a thing where i just got really fat over like a series of seasons and it's just like walking around like that so he just did that as a bit um and yeah, it's kind of tons of weight for yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 as like a commentary on like yeah no sometimes it's it's not about people being happy and getting better sometimes it's about you know shit being real <laughs> which yeah. i think was very funny yeah 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 so because we're a class act and we always have fine reputable sources uh i was on the explain like i'm five subreddit yeah for researching this episode and because we always credit our sources uh reddit user funky one Thank you, Reddit user Funky One. Actually, had some very good uh, insight to the question: Why do we find stuff funny? Which is yeah. really like there's a lot of answers, and it turns out that the the answer is really complicated. No one really knows, but there's a lot of factors that go into it. And they said that they heard a theory. All right, so this is third-hand information. I'm telling you about something that a Reddit user heard. So a lot of humor <laughs> is subversion of patterns, right? I think we've kind of talked about yeah, this. Yeah, you, yeah. Know? you set up the A, you set up the B, and then the C is kind of weird. And obviously that's one of those many types of humor. And they heard about a theory for why that might be. And they talked about, this is just a theory, but we might have evolved humor as a sort of quote, a paraphrase, cognitive reward for reckoning, recognizing potentially dangerous, faulty uh, patterns in a safe context before the potential error could cause harm. Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's say there's someone and they're dancing around a fire with the rest of the travel people and they kind of catch fire a little bit. And they're fine. You put them out. But the fact that it was nearly a catastrophe, everybody laughs about it. No harm done. But everyone remembers the moment because it's, you know, really funny. Yeah. And it's kind of a bonding thing. And then we come together over, but don't dance too close to the fire like Og, because Og oh, is an idiot. That silly so guy. Continue, I know, Og. We laugh about him to this day. To continue, yeah. um, this extrapolates, extrapolates out to any time a pattern of expectations is set up, and then that pattern is violated in some unusual yet still sensible way. We recognize the break in the pattern and reward ourselves with humorous laughter and then they go on to talk about the three-man structure and how that you know sets up a pattern blah 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 blah, blah. but number three is oh blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay and yeah i think that's interesting who knows if it's true but 
Mm. seems to resonate and it's such a cornerstone of humor is establish the pattern and break it yeah 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 no, that's that's a great theory like you know um it would explain why i don't know people people find funny people charming or whatever or, or like it's it's an attractive trait because it's like oh you're able to you're able to identify the pattern and extrapolate it out that's that's useful mm. in in yeah uh, in society yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that like pinpoint the things that are weird pinpoint the things that aren't quite right yeah it's it's almost like an alarm bell system i guess sorry was that james i was just saying it shows observation so that you're kind of able to recognize recognize things and question them or question whether or not they make sense and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that kind of reminds me of the idea of like the you know the jester or the court jester being the one that often would tell the king the truth yeah but in a funny like they're the one that's seeing what's going on and can talk about it yeah 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 without with with impunity because if if uh you know the court jester makes fun of the the king having erection problems in front of the in front of the court uh the king can't really kill him because then everyone assumes the jester was telling the truth <laughs> You know, mm. so it's this weird, you know, like, mm, right. mm. you can get away with it. Okay. Um, I did say at the beginning that I would read out uh, the script that I made. I don't know that it's that funny. I think it's, I think it's funny. Um, but if it's not, I, I will cut this section out. That's what I'm thinking of. I, I thought it was fucking great. I really, I laughed out loud in parts. I don't think I've sent it to you. I, no, it's something I did for, for, are you talking about the, the pool etiquette one or? Yeah, this is the okay. No, I'm no. This is different. Read up. This <laughs> is something I I wrote for for Nate, uh, Ali's Ali's husband, because um, we're we're doing a little thing where um uh doing a show real thing where it's like I'll write some scripts and he'll he'll, he'll uh, record them for nice. me. Is the person going for the interview that you described earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one. Yeah, exactly. yeah, cool. Um, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, the The main guy has a Texan accent, so I'm going to do a terrible Texan accent. Um, just mm. because. Awesome. I'm here for this. Alienate all our Texan listeners. And you know what? You know what? I'm even going to screen share it just just because. Uh, okay. Interior outside Principal Balmer's uh, office. I don't know. Uh, Balmer's office. Morning. We open on Dean seated in a hallway, man spreading on a chair, literally twiddling his thumbs. We get a shot of a door that says Principal sitting next to him as a young woman reading a magazine. Two young girls walk by, chatting. He nods in a friendly but vacant manner as they pass. He looks at the woman. Uh, Dean, in a heavy American South accent. You work here? Woman, looking up from the newspaper. Uh, no, I'm a parent. My daughter goes to the school. Dean. Ah, she in trouble for shagging behind the shed or something? That's why you Aussies say, right, shagging? The woman doesn't know whether to be offended or confused. Woman, excuse me? The door to the Principal Balmer's office opens and Principal Balmer, late 30s, pretty and serious looking as standing there. Principal Balmer to Dean. Mr. Jamison. Dean slaps his hands onto his eyes, looks at the woman. Don't worry, she'll be okay. Wish the same for me. He gives her a quick thumbs up, stands and follows Principal Balmer into the office. Interior, Principal Balmer's office, same time. Principal Balmer's office is tidy, neat and quite small. What you'd expect of a principal's office in a mid-sized girls high school. Principal Wilmer waves Dean into a chair and he obliges with a beaming smile. It's clear that he's nervous. Uh, she sits across the desk from him, takes a sip of coffee and meets his eyes with a slightly forced smile. Principal Balmer, uh, I've looked over your resume. It's colorful. Dean, yep, two years in juvie, another three in Folsom Reformatory. Yes, if you're wondering, it is next to the prison. Her eyes widen in surprise and the smile tightens. Is that so? I mean, working there as a teacher, you know, not an inmate. I tell you, some of those kids are a handful. There's one kid in Folsom. He got a hold of a can of pepper spray and P Principal Obama cuts him off. Well, come back to your experience. Have you uh, been in Australia very long? 
Dean. Fresh off the boat. Well, playing, pardon me, but uh, trying to get to your country by, by boat is, uh, sounds about as much fun to me as it was for your ancestors. Principal Bauma, slightly apologetic. My ancestors are French. Got it, uh, Dean. Got it. Stinky cheese for Secret Santa. He flashes a grin. Principal Bauma, that's a very small but genuine smile. All right, Mr. Jamison. And why do you think you're suited to this job in particular? It sounds as though you mainly have experience with boys. Is that about right? Dean. Um, well, I'm, I'm good with kids, including teens and, you know, girls. I think it could be good. I think I could be a good influence on them, you know, because uh, some of them have daddy issues, right? And I'm, he stops himself and sees Principal Obama's bristle. Dean. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. I mean, I would, I would never, Principal Obama, a little cold. Why don't you tell me your qualifications? Right, qualifications, yeah. Um, well, I graduated from Ole Miss in 2007. Principal Bama, I'm sorry, who's Ole Miss? Dean. Oh, uh, University of Alabama. Crimson Tide, Roll Tide. No, losing steam. Must be uh, an, an American thing. Principal Bama. Okay, so you graduated from the university in 2007, Dean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I... I took a little time off, did some uh, work in Cancun, Mexico. Principal Obama, brightening. Oh, you mean charity work? Helping young people in developing nations, that kind of thing? Dean, his eyes widen. Um, yeah, kind of. Um, Cancun is a famous party destination. Uh, Thank you. Prin Principal Obama. Right, and then you returned to Texas where you went to work in a reformatory school. I imagine that was quite a challenging environment. Dean, ah, it weren't so bad. Those kids are just misunderstood. It definitely got up to some mischief, but we had an understanding. Except Leroy McCain, little motherfucker. Principal Obama, the uh, capsicum spray. Right, you guys call it capsicum. That's, that's pepper. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of an incident. I mean, I, I don't think anyone was permanently blinded. Principal Obama looking down at some paper. The principal at the school says here you have a gift for connecting with students. Uh, Dean, a little bashful. You just treat them like you want to be treated. Look, Miss Bowman, if I may be frank, the thing is... I just like kids. Like being a role model to them, someone they can look up to. I met a lot of kids who, well, you know, they didn't have uh, that. They didn't have that at home. You know, you can really make an impression on a child, good or bad. I just make sure it's the former. Principal Balmer, well, you certainly do make an impression, Dean. There is a moment of quiet teacherly intimacy. Principal Balmer catches herself, becomes a little flustered, and shuffles her papers. Yes, well, I assume you have your working with children check and police checks taken care of. Working with Dean. Principal Obama, children check, Dean. Um, I have not done that just yet, but like I said, fresh off the boat, but I will get on to that ASAP. Principal Obama. Okay, well, lovely to meet you, Dean. I will be in touch. She smiles warmly and holds out a hand across the desk. Dean reaches out a little too over, uh, eagerly and knocks the coffee over. It goes all over her papers. Oh, oh shit, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Should I get a... No, no, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, nice to meet you, though. I um, makes a, a phone gesture with his hand. Talk soon. He hurriedly makes his way out of the office. Christ, I did that on a date once. I knocked the coffee all over the fucking goal skirt. Uh, I still wake up screaming. That's the... Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort of in the style of Ted Lasso. Obviously, it, you know, hopefully it would work a little bit better with actual actors. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of comedy stuff I've been doing recently. Um, I like that. And it's got the whole, you know, like laughing at someone's misfortune, but nothing's that is too bad or going to cause too much suffering. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a cap, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the embarrassment is there. Um, yeah. It's got nice heart to it as well. Like both characters seem like nice, nice people. 
Yeah, I I feel mm-hmm. like you you kind of get a sense for who both of the people are. Like there's yeah. there's sort of archetypes, but like there's enough light and shade there to be a little interesting at least. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, cool. So that will do it, I think, for the for the episode. Did you did you guys have anything you wanted to add or? Let's go. Okay, one more note on the final sure. thing. Um, I noticed that it's it's the setup of like there's the wild card and the the straight man or straight man yeah. in this case. There's the person who is funny and the person who's not reacting to the humor at all, mm. and that is often a really common setup. Once again, Monty Python. I'm yeah. thinking of like the nudge nudge wink wink sketch. Uh, you haven't <laughs> seen it? Look it up. But someone keeps making sexual innuendos, and the other person doesn't understand and is getting really uncomfortable, and <laughs> that's. It's funny. I mean, that's so much of humor, right? Yeah. Straight yeah. and wild card. If you ever anyway. see one person just like stonewalling the other person yeah. when they're trying to make like, yeah, that's always. <laughs> yeah. Always I don't know why that's funny, but it it always is. It's like uh, Leno and Woolley. If you guys have seen that, like, yes, uh, yes, yes. Woolley's a little bit like off the wall and like, oh, and then Leno's like, what are you doing? This is Stop stupid. that! You're yeah. an idiot, and you're embarrassing yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. It's just a funny <laughs> dynamic, you know. Yeah. This yeah, the straight man and the wild card. Um. Okay, cool. Uh, I have a comedy quote for us. Um, So this is by Mel Brooks. Tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's why Mel Brooks is a genius in comedy. (laughs) And it subverts the expectation. It does. I didn't expect that. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that's like a single line. Like, you know, comedy is really effective because you can, if you're good at it, and he is, or was, I think he's still alive. Um, you can you can just make someone laugh with the smallest setup, which is pretty amazing. You know, like comedy is like magic. Making people laugh is like magic. I think it's it's real mm, fun. It is. You just can ch- totally change someone's mood with just like a little a little thing. Um, cool. And that'll pretty much do us for this episode, guys. Um, so yeah, look, we are doing a mailbag episode really soon, and we would love to hear your uh, responses. So look, just click in the little um, uh, the little contact form that's just down below in your podcast of choice. You should be able to see it there, um, and just write into us. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. We'd love to get some questions from you if, if you guys. Uh, yeah, uh, this is the audience, not you and, and, uh, and Jane. Okay. Uh, yeah, that'll that'll do it. That's all from us. And we'll see you next week, I think. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.